This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is good, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and, and I am one of these one of the hosts of this show. Wow, we're starting off on that starting note. with a bang. And I, <laughs> I'm, I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Mayhorn, and we are going to talk a lot about Ohio State's 52-3 to win over Rutgers. But first, Patrick, atone for the sins of Jeff Brom on these airwaves. God. Um, Jeff Brom innocent. Purdue was framed. <laughs> Purdue was framed. They were framed by the officials on that celebration penalty. That was rough. Yeah, I think that um, that was Illinois dressed up as Purdue. That's my excuse for him. Is that Purdue was actually they ended up going to the wrong game, and that was uh, that was Lovey Smith's fault. So we'll blame Lovey Smith for that one. <laughs> Lovey Smith's greatest caper. <laughs> hey, Illinois beat Western Illinois. Illinois is two and zero. Somebody in the Big Ten outside of Ohio State had to look impressive. Yeah. God, man, you look around Wisconsin. I feel we're gonna get into the game. I promise, maybe, maybe. at some point here. The less Rutgers talk, the better. <laughs> <laughs> like Wisconsin. So I wasn't able to watch a lot of that game, but I was just like following along on GameCast. Is there any program that gets more benefit of the doubt than like, wow, Wisconsin's beating New Mexico seven three at half, and everybody's just kind of like, yeah. That's Wisconsin, and then they win by 30, and everybody's like, this is a team that could make the playoff. There were Wisconsin fans I, I saw, so we'll, we'll probably talk more in detail about Bill Connolly's newest um, S&P Plus rankings, but I saw Wisconsin fans were like upset that they were ranked too low, and I saw Wisconsin fans in response to being dropped one spot in the second AP poll of the season being like distraught about that. And I, I I feel like Wisconsin and college football as a whole is like pulling a prank on us, you know, that like everyone else seems to think that this is just like a normal thing that Wisconsin does <laughs> and not like a deeply horrifying, um, very questionable approach that they have to playing football where they just kind of look like crap and then they still win by 30. Yeah, Wisconsin didn't look particularly good until they – I guess scored a bunch of points. I'm not even really sure how they did that. The Big Ten as a whole didn't look very good. Like we said, Purdue, well, Illinois disguised as Purdue lost to a MAC team. Michigan State got hermed. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. Oh, man. 
the um the entire my entire Twitter timeline was firm for Herm is what I've heard the hashtag. Is. Hey, <laughs> Ann Arbor, that's your man right there. Oh my, firm for oh Herm. my God, <laughs> Michigan head coach Herm Edwards. Dude, I'm on board. He's beaten Michigan State just as many times as Jim Harbaugh has. Michigan offensive coordinator Wayne Krebet as his lead. No, bring Noel Mazzoni about out there. <laughs> That's that's cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> I'm looking at Wisconsin's box score right now. In a game in early September against New Mexico, they ran Jonathan Taylor 33 times. You thought we were mad online about JT Barrett in the Big Ten Championship game last year? Imagine your team running your star tail back 33 times against New Mexico. That is quite amazing. Jonathan Taylor already has 51 carries on this season. He nearly has 400 yards. <laughs> Why? What is the reason? They played New Mexico and Western Kentucky. Why did he need to run that much? Wisconsin is on that early 2000s, 1990s NFL plan. He's going to get to the NFL with like 1,200 carries on his resume. I don't know if he's even going to get to the NFL at this point. I think that they're just going to rip his legs off. Alex Hornibrook threw 11 passes. <laughs> He's, he's going to test at the combine. They're going to be like, sir, you have the body of 34-year-old Larry Johnson with the Chiefs. We cannot draft you. <laughs> this simply won't do. Your whole body is a callus. <laughs> well, speaking of calluses, we, let's talk about Rutgers and this, this just dreadful game that Ohio State played. I guess for Rutgers, but it was a great game for Ohio State. I was at work, so I had to watch the replay of it last night, so I didn't get to catch things as they happen live, but... This game was pretty much what we expected, I think, with Rutgers not scoring on Ohio State since 2015. They kicked a field goal in this game. But, man, I I think there's a balance in this and talking about this game and what we can take away of, like, okay, what translates to games like TCU coming up? What translates to Big Ten play? And then what stuff that kind of doesn't? Because I think that there's a mixture of the two. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't think that Dwayne Haskins is going to be completing 20 of 23 passes against teams like TCU or Penn State or uh, good teams. But it does seem like the offense is legitimately good. Um, and that's, you know, it, it's still hard to say that for sure because they have not played a competent defense yet. And we thought that Rutgers defense might be a little bit competent, but no, um, <laughs> they're not. No, not I at mean, all. Um, so there, there's certainly some that, that, you know, some some takeaways that need to be kind of halted a little bit because it's hard to say for sure exactly how good Ohio State is. Specifically, I think more so on defense because Rutgers' offense is dreadful and Ohio State's defense looked very, very good against a dreadful offense. And, um, you know, these early season games, a lot of them are like this. This was, this was something that we struggled with at times last year, too, with this podcast, was trying to figure out just how much it meant when Ohio State tanked a bad team, <laughs> which they do a lot, and I have a feeling they're probably going to do a lot this year too. But we know that there's usually about four games on Ohio State's schedule that are even really relatively decent against teams that can even somewhat compete with Ohio State, and Rutgers is not one of them. So it, it's certainly got to be taken not necessarily entirely at face value, especially when you consider that Rutgers played the second half uh, with their backup quarterback and really just not a not a fair fight. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's, it's fun to get excited about things like Tate Martell completing 10 of 10 passes and running for 95 yards and 
nearly dying in the fourth quarter. Looked like he he was very nearly killed by a tackle, um, at least <laughs> according to his reaction. I don't. I, I think maybe he uh, was overacting there a little bit, but especially because he was in like two plays later. <laughs> but you know, it it is what it is. It's a it's an early season game. It's a tune up. Ohio State looks ready to go for TCU. That's I, I think kind of the overarching takeaway is that Ohio State didn't do anything really dumb in the first two games and that's good news yeah through two games Ohio State averaging a robust 8.13 yards per play that that'll get it done (laughs) and 7.9 against Rutgers on Saturday something that I want to get your thoughts on and the listeners thoughts just in in watching the last two games it doesn't really feel like Ohio State's offense is, is much more explosive, and we've seen what Dwayne Haskins can do with his arm. But is it a stretch to say that the offense has been vanilla, I guess for lack of a better term, in the sense that I don't think they've really shown their whole hand yet with, with what they want to do offensively, especially in the run game. It, it seems like there's just been a lot of base things that, that they've been running, and it's really just been kind of – bread and butter just gearing up for TCU and and I think we're going to see a couple of really interesting wrinkles and a couple of new things that they haven't shown yet yeah it definitely has felt felt like Ohio State is just kind of bludgeoning bad defenses with their immense talent and speed and um, I think in the the game against Rutgers they they did a little bit more on offense than they did against Oregon State Oregon State was a lot of just slants and then they ran it 80 yards um, but there were a couple of throws in my mind that kind of stood out as letting Dwayne Haskins, um, you know, really show off his arm strength a little bit. I think they both went to Johnny Dixon, if I remember correctly. Um, and then Tate Martell had a 50 yard touchdown pass that just hung in the air forever. <laughs> Somehow still was complete to a wide open. Um, I think it was Terry McLaurin. It might've been Paris Campbell, but the, the offense has not been particularly, innovative I don't think but I don't really think it's needed to be so far there's no real reason to show your hand against high school opponents which is what they've been playing (laughs) the last couple of weeks and I mean we knew that this was what it was going to be like I don't think that there was really any reason for Ryan Day to to show off his you know his innovation or his his talent as a play caller because they can win with pretty basic plays and they can stick to just the the easy stuff that they know how to do and that they probably won't make any mistakes on and i imagine that we'll see more from them against TCU but i also wouldn't be surprised having watched ohio state play football for uh, a significant amount of my life i wouldn't be surprised if this is just what the offense is <laughs> And they just kind of stick to the simple stuff and hope that they can win with talent because that's pretty much what the entire Urban Meyer era has been offensively. And say what you will about that, but he's won a lot of games doing it. So I I honestly wouldn't be shocked if this is just what it is. I think the big difference with this offense compared to at least the past two years or three years, I guess, is that this one probably isn't as efficient as those offenses were, but the potential and I think what we've already seen, it's much more explosive with what they can do downfield and what you referenced those two touchdown passes that Dwayne Haskins threw. It's just just a flick of the wrist. It's crazy. I mean, that's that's just something that hasn't existed in Ohio State's offense in the past couple of seasons and that's not to pile on JT Barrett and I know We love JT Barrett on this podcast. Yeah. You can you can go back and Look at the Iowa game, and he threw that long touchdown pass to Johnny Dixon that I think started the scoring for them. There was the pass to, what, Terry McLaurin in the Big Ten championship where he was just wide open 
But these are throws where not only is Johnny Dixon or whoever's going deep getting open, but Haskins is hitting them in stride. These are plays where he's throwing guys open. He's hitting them in stride. It's right on the money. And that's just something that we haven't seen from Ohio State's offense in years past. And even when you just take the deep ball stuff out, something that's stood out to me, and I don't, I don't even know if this is actually a thing, if I'm just making this up, but it, it feels like a lot of what Ohio State did in their passing game in 2016 and 17 and, and in 2015, a lot of it felt predetermined in the way that you know some of those reads are in, in the RPO game. And Dwayne Haskins just seems like he has the ability to make such quick decisions that he can cycle through two or three guys and find the open guy, whereas Barrett or even Cardale to an extent, I think, were more so, okay, if this guy isn't there, this is my second read. That's what I'm going with. If that isn't there, I'm running, you know, I'm hitting a check down. It it seems like Haskins is just able to process information so much more quickly than other Ohio State quarterbacks have. And like everybody wants to talk about his arm, his arm strength is phenomenal. But I just think from a smarts perspective, he blows out anybody we, we've seen here in a pretty long time yeah and you know he he's able to read the field really well he's smart he's very very smart like you mentioned and the other thing that he does that i think separates him from quarterbacks of you know the past even back to troy smith and even before that i, I think that dwayne haskins has the potential to be better than troy smith ever was um but haskins is throwing receivers open and he's hitting them in stride you know, we, I, I think that we mentioned it on this podcast that, uh, um, you know, the, the touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin against Oregon State probably would not have been a touchdown had it been uh, a JT Barrett throw. And that's not meant to be like a knock on JT Barrett. It's just that it probably would have been in the exact spot that um, McLaurin's route was supposed to end, whereas Haskins threw it a little bit in front of him which allowed him to get going quicker and he could he could accelerate and and get a little bit more room and that's what an elite quarterback does and Dwayne Haskins is an elite quarterback at this point he he looks like an NFL quarterback he looks like the kind of guy that Ohio State has never really had I, I can't really remember a quarterback that looked like this in an Ohio State offense and I spent a pretty good chunk of this summer researching Ohio State offenses since like the 1960s he's he's really good (laughs) That's that's what it comes down to, is that you know Ohio State's offense can look pretty similar. Sands quarterback running game it seems like they've mostly taken that out. It can look pretty similar to what it has the last couple of years, but the difference is that Dwayne Haskins can make pretty much any throw, and he's he's hitting receivers in stride, and he's really completely fearless. It, it seems like he he's completely confident in his arm and willing to to throw the ball into really tight spots and. That'll be harder against better defenses, but to this point, it really makes this offense go, um, and it, it really can create a lot of big plays that we just didn't see in years past. What do you think of Tate Martell? <laughs> I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I think of Tate Martell, just as a whole. Um, his stats were awesome. I, I I think that he really answered some questions with this performance. He makes me nervous with some of the things that he does <laughs> on the field. He he has um, the the comparisons are very easy to make, and it's a very lazy comparison to make. And I'm sure that we'll do it a billion times when he's the starter, um, probably next season. Um, but he has a very Johnny Manziel esque quality to him. I, I know that that was kind of the main thing that people said when he was being recruited as well, is that he just 
kind of makes plays, and you're not really sure how he does it. He had the one that stands out to me specifically where he uh, rolled out of the pocket. It wasn't even really a rollout. He scrambled out of the pocket, was like running all over the place, kind of just running in circles, and then he threw a, a lob over top of a defender to, I, I think it was C.J. Saunders. I'm not 100% sure who he threw it to. And it was just a lob over top of several defenders on the run um, away from the uh, the strong side of his body. And it was it was a little bit concerning. I mean, obviously, when it works, it works. And he had the, the big lob pass touchdown that we talked about a little bit earlier. But I, I'm still not super sold on Tate. He, he looked very good. Um, I'm glad that Dwayne Haskins is the starter. And I, I hope that Dwayne Haskins remains healthy for the season because I think Tate still has some some growing to do some work to do especially with arm strength stuff because he it, it took some effort for him to throw the the 50 yard touchdown pass and I, I think that he still has some some learning to do and some some weight room stuff to to go through earlier on I talked about process like process versus results and I would bet a lot that everybody and all the coaches were super happy that he threw that touchdown. But like when you go back and watch that and that whole situation, the way that that drive played out in the third and 16 and the way that ball just kind of floated up there. <laughs> and even from the wide receiver defensive standpoint, you know, Ohio state isn't going to get into third and 16 versus Penn state or Michigan state or Michigan or TCU next week. And just be like, Hey Terry run deep and just beat one of their corners down the field and just like loft up a deep ball. So I think in in a certain situation they were playing in against Rutgers, it was super nice to see that he can throw the ball that far and Terry McLaurin can get open like that. But, you know, in a regular game situation, it's hard to see everything lining up like that, especially when it's on a third and 16. But I thought it was encouraging. And, you know, we've known that he's going to be fun to watch play. And like you said, he took that one massive shot on the sideline and then had the awesome touchdown run. So we know what we're getting from Tate Martell, but it is, it was nice to see a little bit more consistency, even if it's like chaos consistency. <laughs> chaos consistency is a good way to describe him. Th that's I Tate think, Martell. Yeah. Uh, how mad will we be on this podcast if Ohio State decides to put him in in the middle of the second quarter against TCU? <laughs> like they Yo, keep I swear doing. to, I swear to God, <laughs> I swear to God. <sighs> Man. I'll throw yeah I'll throw a fit I will be very uh very mad online um the the only other thing I had about the offense was like wow we watched Ohio State throw the ball in the rain like 35 times in the first half what year what world <laughs> is this like Urban Meyer definitely is not on the sideline right now Urban Meyer was probably at home yelling at his TV he's like stop throwing the damn ball <laughs> This is literally a run the dang ball. <laughs> How did Ohio State manage to hire Jim Trestle again? <laughs> they can't escape him. <laughs> Even when they go out and they hire like the flashiest, uh, you know, like offensive innovator, big Florida big name, he comes in and he just becomes Woody Hayes in a spread off. <laughs> well, and that, that's one of the thing that, things that I think is crazy, and we. I think people have talked about and was super noticeable in the first half on Saturday, but like we really haven't done a deep dive on that. It's just like, this is a dude that he hired and 
for all the lip service last year about, oh, things were different. We all kind of knew it was the same. The same pieces were there, and it just kind of was what it was. Day came in, and I think that JT improved. But for them to say that this offense was going to be – not that they said it was going to be totally different, but you kind of just figured – but figuring it and then seeing it out on the field in a game like that where they, they could have just ran the ball 50 times and probably won by by the same margin, but they really, from the start, were just about the pass and, and getting dudes open. And like I said with the v- being vanilla thing, they, they aren't really trying to push teams around uh, on the ground right now. And who knows, maybe I, I don't think that they're going to be quite as powerful up front and as efficient as they have been on the offensive line. So this is the way they have to play. But I also think they realize, you know, what they have in Haskins. And I think this is probably a better pass protection offensive line than it is a run blocking offensive line, to be honest. And they've given him quite a bit of time in in both of these games. And we'll see what happens against higher talented or higher level of, of talent with, with TCU and other defensive lines in the big 10. But Man, it, it just seems like a totally different philosophy on offense. Yeah, it definitely does. And, um, you know, Ohio State had eight passing chunk plays, which is a gain of 15 yards or more in this game. And I really don't know the last time that they did that. I mean, that's a lot. Four of them went for touchdowns. You had, you know, a 51-yard touchdown. You had 44, 38. The rest were right around 15. Um, but they they certainly do seem to really want to pass the ball more and they're having a lot of success doing it on the the other side of that the the running attack i thought was really good in the oregon state game less good in this game um looking at it statistically and just from remembering the game um how how did you feel about the the rushing attack and uh, specifically the star of the oregon state game uh mike weber having a pretty uh pedestrian day with eight carries and 31 yards and you know 15 of those yards came on one carry like i said i think it's just kind of they just didn't really try to do anything exotic they didn't try to show their hand mike weber got eight carries jk dobbins with 12 for 73 another game where basically all of his runs go for at least five yards he broke off the 21 yarder scored a touchdown had a really nice uh, uh catch and run in the past game, but I think that that, that play got called back, but it was still a nice play. Nonetheless. Um, I don't know. They ran for 225 yards as a team, but it just kind of felt like you said pedestrian. And, and I don't think there's anything to worry about, but I, I just don't think that they're showing their full hand. I do think it's, it will be something to watch for to see how Weber continues to run because as we said last week, it looks like he has a little more lateral quickness and he's a little faster. But I thought on Saturday, he kind of not let that get to his head. That's the totally wrong saying, but he kind of forgot who he was as running back because at heart, he's still a north south guy. He can still shed guys. He can still burst forward and get solid chunks on the ground. There were at least a couple plays where he was looking like he wanted to be Barry Sanders and, and cut it to the outside and go wide with it. And for as much as he's improved with some of that quickness and agility, I don't think he's ever going to be that back. And and I don't think he's going to be as shifty as J.K. Dobbins. So something to look out for, because I was really surprised when I saw him do that. And it felt like he just kind of got away from what he really is as a back. Yeah, I, I, it does seem like <clears throat> it might just be a case of Ohio State really not wanting to show a ton in the running game. I mean, they're, they're two starting running backs combined for just 20 carries. And I, it's... 
kind of surprising given what the weather was on Saturday that they didn't run more. I, I expected a pretty run-heavy day, and there were still 40 carries on the day, but when Tate Martell is your leading rusher, that's probably not sustainable. I, I can't imagine that he'll be running eight times for 95 yards against TCU or Penn State or some of the better teams on this schedule. I'm sure that Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins will both be fine. Uh, I think that their carries are pretty much equal to this point in the season through two games. I I just checked, and I think it was Mike Weber 28, J.K. Dobbins 27. I don't think I have any complaints about that. I'd be perfectly fine with them pretty much splitting carries for the rest of the season. They're both very effective. We've seen them be very effective. And um, I'm assuming that they will get more touches against TCU, and there will probably be a lot more going on on offense as a whole against TCU. And, um, you know, when you when you kind of slog through these first two games and uh, you have to watch Ohio State play against such bad teams, and I think you kind of start to yearn for those bigger games. And obviously we're going to be very nervous going into that game just because it's Ohio State football and that's how it works. Um, but I'm really excited to see this offense against a good defense and to, to see what they look like. And you mentioned... Um, the offense looking legitimately different this year from what it has in years past, and I'm interested to see how that continues against TCU or if they kind of return to what we saw for the last uh, several years or so, and you know, even more so when Urban Meyer gets back and they play Tulane and Penn State, and just to see what the offense looks like when Ryan Day is not running the show. Um, it, there's a lot of questions about this team that really can't be answered by beating up on Oregon State and Rutgers, and I think that that's pretty much where I'm at with this offense. 14 first-half drives for Ohio State this season, and they read as touchdown, 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 <laughs> punt, end of half, touchdown, punt, touchdown, 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 punt. So Good God. Ohio State is on pace to score a lot of touchdowns yeah. this year and win a lot of games, and that not only the first-half drive chart, but that whole – next game drive chart against TCU. It will not be like that, but Ohio State, as much as you can say against two teams like this, they, they've been about as perfect as possible. Uh, flipping, flipping to the defense, there was a lot we talked about last week with what they showed and didn't show against Oregon State. I, I don't know that there's really a ton to take away, given that Rutgers was starting a true freshman quarterback in Ohio Stadium against this defensive line but certainly a better performance than the Oregon State game. You know, my main thing is just still with this line, and I think two games is enough for me that if your offensive line isn't consistent and if you can't get any push up the middle, you're just not going to have a chance because Ohio State's defensive line is too good. From, From the start, our boy Big Bob made that first tackle for loss, and then Nick Bosa really just took the game over and Chase Young took the game over too before he was ejected for being a little too crazy. But man, this defensive line is just dominant and they really wreck havoc on people. Yeah. I mean, Chase Young just continuously, um, I I mean, sidelining quarterbacks is, I guess, the best way to put it. This is the... It's the second straight game where he's done this. You know when, like, I I feel like we've all been a part of this at some point in our lives, or else maybe maybe I'm just crazy and get myself into bad situations. Like, whether you're playing a sport or something where, like, you do something or somebody does something and you can tell, like, okay, like, something's about to pop off. Like, I can feel that something's about to happen. When he got that first on Sportsman, like, 
I was watching him and I was like, I already knew that he had gotten ejected, but I was like, okay, like I can see that like he was trending towards this <laughs> after the first one happened. He was like, okay, you're going to throw that on me. Interesting. Like, let's see what happens here. So, I mean, I don't think I have too many hot takes about it. I love the emotion. Um, I love, I love spiking the ball. Down. <laughs> that, that's, that's one of my favorites, but that is, um, he'll, he'll have to watch. But when you play with that type of aggression, man, especially on the defensive line, it, there's just not a lot of college offensive lines that can do a lot with that. And Penn state has been a line in recent years that, that's been pretty maligned. And I think that they're a little better this season, but you know, for a dude like Trace McSorley, he's going to have to make a lot of plays Michigan State's offensive line didn't look the best against Arizona State. Uh, we know what Michigan's offensive line is. So so this defensive line, I think, as the back seven continues to grow, can take over games, I think if there's one place that they can be attacked, it's probably on the outside. We saw Rutgers try to do a little misdirection at the start. We saw Oregon State do a lot of that and, and have some success, I think, as the season goes on. They'll get used to that and be a little more disciplined. I thought they were better against Rutgers at that than they were against Oregon State. But anything up the middle, whether it's running or just trying to sit into a clean pocket, if your wide receivers aren't open or you're not running a screen, not only are you risking just having a negative play or just having a play get blown up, you're risking having your quarterback get hurt because Ohio State's knocked out the two starting quarterbacks they faced this year, and there aren't many quarterbacks in the league or in college football, for that matter, that can withstand the type of punishment that they've been given out these first two weeks of the season yeah for sure um i i mentioned in my my post game stock market report that chase young is a solid investment and that he's looked very good and you you mentioned that he kind of um he had that look to him <laughs> that he was gonna get he really he did gonna get busted and i i think that's my number one thing with Chase Young not really an issue because I think it's really funny um <laughs> but my number one thing with Chase Young is that he's uh he's very emotional at times we, we've seen that in just the first two games we've seen him have some some issues with that and this team as a whole seems to have some not really anger issues but <laughs> some control issues they have a little more spice than they've had in the past. Yeah, they um, they had 11 penalties for 120 yards in this game. I think it was pretty similar against Oregon State, if I remember correctly. Um, and as fun as it is when you know Chase Young is getting all excited, and you know I, if it was up to me, there would be no penalties for things like that. Um, that is trouble <laughs> against like a team like TCU or yeah. or Penn State. Um, you really cannot do that i it feels like ohio state is uh very very quickly hurtling towards like a targeting call that would completely wreck their defense for like nick bosa or chase young or any number of starters on this defense uh so maybe they should reel it in a little bit because i can just i can see it now where like an early an early drive for tcu is you know like a third down and then chase young's called for targeting because he hit sean robinson too hard and they they end up scoring and then ohio state's without chase young for the rest of the game and um that really doesn't work he he's got to be on the field think bosa's got to be on the field and uh, i imagine that that'll probably be a pretty big focus this week because uh, ohio state's coaches see the same thing that we do um and they've they've worked with a lot more um, guys like that and um, you know young 
very uh, energetic athletes. So I'm sure that they're talking to him about that and trying to get him to to reel it in a little bit. Um, But I really, I don't know how TCU is going to handle this defensive line. I can't imagine that they'll handle it very well. Um, they're, they're just too good. <laughs> this defensive line is unbelievable. Um, you know, they're, we, we've, we've mentioned it before, but with all of the talk about Clemson's defensive line and Michigan State's defensive line, both of which are excellent, by the way, Clemson's defensive line, I don't know if you, if you got to watch it's the great, yeah. Clemson-Texas A&M game. They won that game for Clemson. They're, they're the only reason yeah, they won. They're awesome. That defensive line is crazy. But Ohio State's defensive line is no joke. I, I think they legitimately, if they're not number one, they're probably number two behind Clemson. They're fantastic. And I, I just don't see a way that many teams on this schedule, if any, can slow them down. And it seems like at this point the only thing that can stop this defensive line is itself. And that might be a legitimate concern sometimes because – um, we, you know, with the penalty issues, it, it seems like they can, they can get a little bit carried away sometimes and, um, maybe not as much big Bob Landers or Draymond Jones, but Nick Bosa and Chase Young do both have a history of being ejected from games. So that's, I think something to look out for and something that could be a, a concern for this defense in the future. I feel personally wronged that Texas A&M didn't win that game after going, <laughs> c- coming on these airwaves last week and predicting that they would win. But Clemson, man. I don't know. Clemson looks a lot like 2015, 2016 Ohio State to me right now. <laughs> that defensive line is super good, and, and there's dudes there, but yeesh. You know, that, that quarterback play with Kelly Bryant and, and Trevor Lawrence look good, but I don't know. I, I don't like I don't like what I see from them, but I, I do like it at the same time, if that makes sense. <laughs> and like I said on Twitter, it feels to me we're, we're trending – toward Dwayne Dwayne Haskins has to be the one that slays Clemson yes it is his destiny it is written in the stars um we're 40 minutes into this thing and we need to talk about Sean Wade yeah let's do it we we need to talk about Sean Wade because this podcast we aren't right about a lot we are not right ever right about anything (laughs) but Sean Wade man he he got some early run in the nickel and later in the game picked up his first career interception. And I've, you know, just been effusive of my praise as Sean, president of the Sean Wade mm-hmm. Hive. But I, I honestly think it's a thing that, you know, he just physically is, I think, much more talented just as a straight-up corner in terms of, like, this guy knows how to play football, not he's a track athlete, not any anything other than just, like, football ability. I think he's legitimately the best corner on this team. And it was nice to see him not only get an interception. I think he had another pass breakup. He had a really huge hit he made when he came up and just crunched on a wide receiver in the flat. So really impressed with what I saw. You're going to see a lot of him and and the rest of the secondary against TCU. But I thought for him, it was a phenomenal game. It was nice to see Kendall Sheffield make a couple of plays, get an interception. Damon Arnett had a couple of nice plays. So uh, much more encouraged about the secondary. And I I think it's pretty clear how much better they are with Jordan Fuller back there at safety just based off of the inex- just the experience alone not even to mention how good he is but I-, I just thought much more encouraging this past week than the Oregon State game you know on Twitter when you search Sean Wade um, the in the profiles section the first person that comes up is not at all related to the football Sean Wade the second person is you uh, <laughs> the third person is the actual Sean Wade um, so that I think that that's a pretty good um, 
<laughs> describer of where we stand with Sean Wade. Um, as the official vice president of the Sean Wade uh, fan club, he looked awesome. Um, you know, he, he had the interception. It wasn't really him making a big play. I don't think it was mostly a bad throw that yeah. just kind of went right to him. Uh, but he did have a big hit. Uh, pretty, I think it was the the drive before that. It was pretty shortly before he had the interception, um, and just in general, his coverage looked very good. I don't remember a single play where it looked like he got beat. Um, he looked awesome. He he looked like like you said, probably the best true cornerback on this team. I'm not sure if I'm ready to go that far. I, I like Damon Arnett a lot. Um, I like Jeffrey Okuda a lot. I will not speak on Kendall Sheffield. <laughs> I think it's very fast. Um, <laughs> but I, I would like to see more Sean Wade. And um, I, I think that in general, it seems like Buckeye fans kind of agree with that. Um, so we, we have very many. Uh, we, we have quite a few members of the Sean Wade fan club, maybe not as dedicated as we are. Um, but if if it means that he's the nickel back on this team, if it means that he's a safety, if he's a true corner, uh, whatever it may be, I, I do think that they need to be getting him on the field because he's just he's too talented to not be playing, um, especially against teams that have good receivers, which Ohio State will start playing here eventually. Well, and what's interesting too is I think having a guy in the back end like Jordan Fuller and some improved cornerback play with Wade in there and Arnett and Sheffield and Okuda really helps out the linebackers because then you know they're kind of sandwiched in between this defensive line that frees them up to make a lot of plays and knowing that there's at least a couple of guys in that back end who, who aren't going to let them down. And I thought for the most part, it was a, a much more solid day for them against Rutgers. I don't think that they were challenged as much, but it didn't seem like they were as out of position as they were in week one. I, I think that we're getting to a point where it's like, okay, Pete Werner, like I can definitely see something. Well, let's, let's check out the TCU game, see how he does when we, we get to there in a little bit of conference play. But I think we're kind of at the point where everything that the coaches said about him in the offseason, you can kind of see like, okay, this dude is always kind of around the football. He's always moving full speed, but he's not out of control when he's trying to make a play, which you see with a lot of young guys. Malik Harrison had a couple plays where, where I thought he really flew to the ball. So I, I thought that it can only benefit those guys in the middle when you know you have that defensive line in front of them and then that back end that's a little bit more stable and I think that there are going to be some big time growing pains throughout the season this isn't going to be as good a defense even as it was last year certainly not as good as it was in 2016 but they improved after week one and we'll see what they do against TCU yeah I, I think that it definitely a, a pretty encouraging game I think my last thought really on the defense and um, I agree that the linebackers looked pretty good I, I like um, <clears throat> I like Pete Warner's game a lot um, I mentioned this on the last podcast. I think that I'm all in on it now. Justin Hilliard should be a starter. Um, he had four tackles yeah. this week, three solo. Uh, when he's on the field, he just makes tackles. He <clears throat> he has a very Ryan Shazier-esque quality to him when he's in the middle. Um, he's not the best athlete on the field, uh, which Ryan Shazier, I think, was on that Ohio State defense. But Justin Hilliard, he's just... Um, it's a lot like, you know, I mentioned Shazier. It's a lot like Ray, Rayquan McMillan, too, where you, you just have someone who's stabilizing in the middle of the field that can make tackles on run plays, that can kind of uh, play a zone. He's smart. Yeah, he's smart. He knows what he's doing. He really knows how to play the position. And I think that Baron Browning is significantly more talented uh, and significantly more gifted as an athlete. 
but he's like 19 or 20, um, and it, it looks like it sometimes. He gets lost sometimes. He doesn't have the best coverage. Um, he, he can overplay different uh, schemes. He sometimes bites a little bit too hard on fakes, and Justin Hilliard doesn't do that. He he really provides a steadying hand in the defense that I think could really use a steadying hand at linebacker. Um, and I'm I'm gonna continue to vouch for him to be the the middle linebacker for the the future on this team because he just he looks really good. He looks like the the kind of guy that Ohio State's defense needs to pull it all together. Kind of a <clears throat> a senior leader, um, a veteran leader on this defense. And um, when you have so much talent, but so much of that talent is so young, someone like that is super important. Um, that's what made the 2014 defense so good. That's what made the 2016 defense so good. And Obviously, Ohio State's had quite a few good defenses, but I, I do think that Justin Hilliard is the the thing that would really make this defense go from top 20, top 15 to top five, or even one of the best in the country. Um, so hopefully we get to see him more. I'm not super sure if we will, but he he's looked awesome through two games, and I'm excited to see him playing so well. you have anything to say about punt return? Uh, oh, man. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think I feel like we're going to have to do one of two things here, Patrick. <laughs> we either we either just say that we were wrong or we just die on the I'm hill. doubling down. <laughs> <laughs> good, because we haven't talked before this podcast. I'm doubling down, okay, too. Good. I'm sticking yeah. with Demario McCall. Demario McCall is the best punt returner on the team. Ignore what your eyes tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, CJ Saunders, I think, had one good return. He just keeps running into guys. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> it felt like, I, I think he did it, he's done it on, he did it on, like, his first four punt returns. He ran into somebody, he finally fielded one cleanly and got, like, 20 yards on the return off of it. Um, but Demario McCall, he is... Um, he's a work in progress and I believe in him. I'm willing to die on this hill free to Mario. He, um, he's going to figure it out. <laughs> you know, you're an asshole in NCAA. This was always my strategy. I never did this against like human opponents, but if I was playing the computer and you have a really good team where you just don't, you have somebody back there to field it, but then you just like user take him away, call for the fair catch and just let it bounce so you can get more offensive yards. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that's that would maybe be Ohio State's best plan right now is to just hope that the ball like kicks back up and you can gain some yardage. But if you got to get Dwayne Haskins more passing yards, like who loses? Yeah, just I, I actually I vouch for this <laughs> in my, my post game piece. Uh, Ohio State should not attempt to field punts. Putting a punt returner back there is a bad idea, and they should just put an extra man on the line, try to block some punts. And um, really, you know, we we love to see big punts on this podcast. We we love to see the the punts that just kind of go on forever. And I think that it's it's rude of us to to rob possible great punts of their potential. So let those punts be free. Um, if they take a big bounce and Ohio State has to go from their one-yard line, it'll just help the Dwayne Haskins Heisman campaign. Um, so if you're not going to put DeMario, DeMario or nothing is my, <laughs> my official. My official take on the matter is that if it's not number 30 back there, it should be no one back there. DeMario is the only acceptable punt returner. All right, we're, we're doubling down. I like it. <laughs> I'm excited to triple down when he uh, fumbles. Uh, when he, when he costs Ohio yeah, State to TCU When Ohio game. State loses to TCU on a DeMario McCall fumbled punt. <laughs> Man, that's going to rule. Everyone's going to be so mad at us. <laughs> 
I can't wait to see it too. But I feel like that pretty much wraps up the Rutgers portion of this podcast. There's not really anything else we can take away from this game. Um, a ton else happened around the country. What What do you think? Where Where are we in college football in, in week two right now? I think my favorite thing is USC and Texas are going to play this weekend. And one of those teams is going to have two losses after week three, which is pretty amazing. But I feel like... Maybe more so than ever. Not that there's parity. Like, I don't get it confused. College football still is what it is, but it just feels like whether it's Kentucky beating Florida or, or some of the way these other games shook out this weekend, that it just felt like, man, that there are a lot of teams past that top 10, 15 range where it's just like they can get got by almost anyone. Yeah, it, it really does feel like the top teams in college football are awesome and and pretty much um, that top 10 is going to remain for much of the season and it feels like that a lot of the time but there really haven't been any major upsets to this point Um, there were a couple I mean Arizona State beat Michigan State but um, for you know for people like me who believed in Herm this whole time and never doubted him at all um, for sure do not look at my Twitter ever before any time um, that was like Last night around two-ish was when I think I turned on her <laughs> and he became good. Um, but the you know the top ten really feels solid at this point. Alabama looked awesome. Ohio State, obviously, we just talked about Rutgers for 30 minutes, so they looked pretty good. Um, Georgia crushed South Carolina. Oklahoma somehow seems better without Baker Mayfield. Um, I like Mississippi State a lot. I'm, I'm just kind of running down the, the Bill Connolly S&P rankings. Um, the, the one team that I, I had to watch yesterday cause I had to write a preview about, or not a preview or recap about them was Boise state as they just dismantled UConn. Um, and I will say that I think Boise state being good is good for college football. I, I think that college football is better when Boise state is awesome. And I really hope that they go 12 and low this year cause they're, they're very, very fun. Um, so that, that's my official G5 team that I love. Um, UCF still has a place in my heart, but I think Boise State rocks. Um, they're they're very fun to watch, and if anyone is ever up late enough to watch Boise State play, they definitely should because that, that offense is mean and that defense might be even better. Um, so th- it, it really does, it feels like there's a pretty obvious upper class in college football this year, and I'm excited to see if that can remain as the season goes on. We've got some some pretty good games coming up this week that we'll probably talk about on the TCU preview podcast um but that that seems to be a pretty a pretty easy take at this point is that the the top part of college football is very solid this year probably more so than usual man poor UConn facing UCF <laughs> and brutal. Boise State back-to-back weeks that that is about as brutal as a non like facing power five slate can be but everybody was saying that this was going to be a really boring week but I, I thought it was a great week yeah. there was only a couple of really great games you know i'm biased i love the colorado Nebraska that game was awesome game. Yeah. i thought that was that was the game of the week that was there was a lot of really stupid things that happened in the fourth quarter of that game but seeing the way that adrian martinez played in his literally his first game in college football as a true freshman was fun lavisca chenault if you haven't watched yeah, him, we need to we need to talk about lavisca chenault <laughs> Head to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Colton Denning. I'll have the official highlights of LaVisca Chenault's yeah. game against Nebraska up later tonight. I already have the CSU ones. He is a beast. Um, that Pac-12 South right now, after 
I don't even know after USC. Like, it is just super open because it ain't UCLA. It probably ain't Utah. Herm, 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 Herm. <laughs> and it definitely ain't Arizona. Arizona is not the look this year. So much for, like, th- this has been my favorite part of the year so far. Like, the three, like, darling sleeper picks are already just, like, dead in the water. Texas, done in the Big 12. Arizona, done there. And... USC is like teetering on the border. Them in Texas should be a really fun train wreck game, but there's yeah, and in Florida too. I remember like there's some people that were like Florida's going to win the East. And no, 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 man. <laughs> Let me tell you a thing or two about a thing or two of Florida. <laughs> I got to dunk on some Florida fans yesterday when Kentucky beat them, so that was fun. <laughs> and Florida State almost lost to Sam. Florida State like, there stinks. was all sorts of they're bad. Yeah, they're they just are super bad. bad. Yeah, I <laughs> that Florida State game was just wild. I I had to find a stream of that because um it was on like ACC network. Yeah, it was on like the ACC network which is on Watch ESPN which I have, but Watch ESPN streaming is so dreadfully bad <laughs> that I I would rather I would rather look for an unconventional stream uh to, to watch that. And I think that that's in, that ended up being uh, what I did, and it worked significantly better because um, it, gee, watch ESPN. It's a whole that that could be a whole podcast about how awful watch ESPN is. Um, but they've had like the same bongo music. It's like I the only way that you can watch it without it buffering every three seconds is by having it in like a minimized window, so it doesn't take up the full screen. And even then, it's like um, the lowest possible quality, so you can only really make out colors. Um, just dreadful. ESPN, come on, y'all. Get get it together. I know you have the money to make a streaming service work. <laughs> How about Cincinnati? 21 nothing over Miami, Ohio. Luke Fickle, 2-0. Wins wins over UCLA and you know, Miami, Ohio, whatever. But seems like that uh, that program's headed headed in the right direction. So a lot of really fun things coming up week three should be a lot of fun we're going to get more to that when we do our tcu preview here in a couple days and and figure what's going to happen in that game what's going to happen in the week of college football is there is there anything else you want to talk about from this week um army finally killed liberty army ended liberty forever (laughs) (laughs) the troops are taking away our liberty (laughs) i think that's all i got couldn't have been anybody else (laughs) I'm just trying to scan through, like, seeing that Ole Miss beat Southern Illinois 76-41. to I believe that that game was tied at halftime. <laughs> it's like 35-35. Jordan Ta'amu passed for 448 yards, five touchdowns. Tennessee, you know shit's messed up when Tennessee's winning games 59 to nothing, and Guarantano was 8 of 13 for 154 yards passing. How do you win 59-3 to by pass, your starter passing for 154 yards? I don't understand how that works, Patrick. And I don't understand. I mean, I do understand Iowa winning 13-3 to over Iowa State it. in like <laughs> the most El Asico of all time. You know what was really upsetting to me as I'm looking through these games? So FAU beat Air Force by six. I, I think Air Force scored a, a late touchdown to make it look a little bit closer. Uh, FAU's quarterback, Chris Robison, had uh, 471 yards on 33 of 40, uh, passing for three touchdowns. And they won by six. 
hey Lane Kiffin, what what are you doing out there? <laughs> What's going on? Lane Kiffin has put all his resources into his offense and his 22-year-old Oof. offensive coordinator. That's future Ohio State head coach Charlie Weiss Jr. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Gave him the keys to that roost. Um, dude, on Iowa, I had this epiphany the other day. Not only is Dwayne Haskins, will he have to slay Clemson, but I feel like Iowa somehow is just going to sneak their way, just slither in as the Big Ten West champions, and that's like Ohio State is going to have to exercise those demons if they want to get back to the national championship. If if Iowa wins the Big the Big Ten West and then beats Ohio State in the, the <laughs> Big Ten championship to keep them out of the playoff, I think that, like, Kirk Ferentz would probably have to hire security guards. <laughs> Because Ohio State would, I, I think they'd go after him. I think Urban Meyer would personally go after Kruvers if that happened. What type of negative yardage do you think that they would gain via either Alabama or Clemson? Could you could you imagine Brent Venables or Nick Saban having a month and a half to prepare for Kirk Ferentz? God, <laughs> they almost got the chance in what was it, 2015, when Iowa was like an inch away from the playoff. And they went they went undefeated in the regular season. And instead, Alabama got a month to prepare for Jim Bowman. God, yeah, and Iowa got tanked by Stanford. I need you before we end this podcast. I need you to go look at the Boston College Holy Cross box score, if if that's readily available. Specifically, what AJ Dillon did to uh, Holy Cross. Wow, six carries, 149 <laughs> yards, three touchdowns. That's an efficient day for for a podcast that likes to talk about the old NCAA football game. That is a very NCAA line score when you're playing a. FC, not even an FCS. Is Holy Crowley Cross is like Division Two. Yeah. They're in the Pat yeah. League, dropping six for one forty nine, three touches. That's twenty four point eight yards per carry. Look at BC, even throwing for two forty five. That's when you know BC's playing someone shitty when they're dropping two forty five and four touchdowns passing on someone. Yeah, I believe that their starter. I'm not sure who their starter is. Uh, they had three quarterbacks play. None of them threw more than twelve passes. So that's that's pretty good. I'm a big fan of that. They did have one guy with a ninety nine point one QBR, and that's out of a hundred. Uh, <laughs> so go Boston College. The official. This is the official podcast of Boston College. I like it. Yeah. I like it. All right. I think that that's probably a good place to wrap up before we start doing Mac Brown. Before he Mac Brown enters the room, <laughs> Mac Brown makes an appearance. We get, we get Michigan head coach suggestions flying out here. But make sure to follow us on Twitter here at the Hangout in the Holy Land by going on Twitter, obviously, and following at Holy Land Pod. You can listen to. This show, CR tweets. You can also listen to the Why Is This News podcast, which drops on Friday with Matt and Alexis. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts. Search Hangout in the Holy Land. Find this episode, all the other old episodes there. Leave a star rating and a review. Uh, on that front, I have an excellent story about our star ratings and reviews that I'm going to tell on the next episode. I've meant to tell it today, but I'll, I'll wait for the start of uh, – of our TCU preview, provided Ohio State doesn't rush for 110 yards and lose by 12. Um, but you can go there, find all the old episodes, leave a review, tell us what you think about the show. Also go to soundcloud.com slash hangout in the Holy Land, find the show there. And you can follow me on Twitter at Dubsco, and you can follow Patrick on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. 
We good, man? Yeah. I think we just marathoned an hour on Rutgers. We're, we're done with Rutgers. It's September 9th, and it's finished. It's over. We're not talking about them for the rest of the season until they beat Michigan and Michigan State and Wisconsin and Penn State, and they finish second in the Big Ten East. At 5-7. and seven. Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> At 5-7. and seven. Oh, man. Rutgers head coach Jim Harbaugh coming soon. I, hey, he already recruits New Jersey so yeah. well. He know he knows the area. He could he could put a fence up around. If you love so, if you love New Jersey so much, why don't you just marry it? <laughs> I I feel like if anybody could, Jim Harbaugh yeah. could make that happen. But until next time, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning, and this is the Hangout in the Holy Land.